Pastor, it's a pleasure to be with you. You can be seated. Um, I'm so happy to be here. This is a, of course, a special, special, special church. It is. It is the womb where I was born. And born of the Word of God, through the ministry of I.H. Terry, and of course, it, it's not a pastor alone that is responsible for, for winning and saving and keeping and feeding and nurturing. It is an entire church. Um, us uh, pastors would be, regardless of, of how close we were to God and how much we heard from God and how well we might be able to preach, we'd be in a fix if there weren't faithful saints. And uh, I, I wish to say a little bit about this this morning, so my, my uh, introductory remarks will be very brief. I will simply say it's a pleasure to be here, to be with a Pastor and Sister Bradford, and, and um, you're a special people to me. Love and appreciate you, and I will talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Uh, I'll draw your attention first of all to what is probably the most the most well-known verse of scripture in the entire Bible. This is the verse that is quoted probably more often, preached from probably most often, and is is found uh, in many many hotel rooms in the front of a Gideon Bible. This is the verse that is translated into all of the different languages that they've published Gideon Bibles in, and that is John 3.16, which says, as you very well know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The point that I, that I want to stress is that God loved the whole world world. So God drew a big, big circle to take you in. God, uh, God did not draw a little circle and say, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to save this group of people here. In fact, one of the key foundational principles of reform theology, which I believe is totally anti-biblical, but one of their key principles is that, is that uh, Jesus did not die to save the whole world, that the blood at Calvary did not atone. It was limited atonement. That is the L in the T-U-L-I-P, which is there uh, from the Council of Dort. It is their concept of theology in a nutshell. It is limited atonement. They teach limited atonement that Jesus did not die to save the entire world, but only those who were predestined. That's so false. That's so wrong. God loved the whole world, for God so loved the world. Not just, not just a select few, but the whole world, which is why Jesus could say, Whosoever will, let him come unto me. 
If any man thirst. People have enough difficulty. You may have enough difficulty feeling that you're worthy, feeling that God may love you, that God may care for you, feeling that you are chosen, that you are meant to be saved without some type of a, of a false ideology that I believe is from the pit of hell, satanic inspired to deceive people, to, to make people feel like they are not worthy, that they are not chosen, that they cannot be saved. It is a lie. God so loved the world. And then in 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, it talks about the judgment of God, basically that judgment is sure. Judgment is sure. We know that, we know that um, uh, judgment will come, but the scripture is God is not willing. In, in spite of the fact that judgment is coming, God is not willing that any should perish. Any should perish. But that all, all, that's a big circle. That's not a little circle. All should come to repentance. Edwin Markham wrote a little poem, and, and I can't remember if I heard it first from Brother Terry or, or Brother Vaughn Morton, but it, you, you will recognize it if you've been around a few years. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about drawing big circles and, and try to encourage you and persuade you to draw big circles. Um, for, for those of you ladies who were here yesterday, I hope you are not disappointed and don't set your watches on 18 minutes. <laughs> the, first, the first point is the one that I've already made, that God's not willing for you to be lost. It is not the will of God for you to be lost. The Bible teaches us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. God did not create hell for you. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. However, the Bible also said hell hath enlarged herself. Because of the fall of man, because of disobedience, because of people who got outside of the will of God or outside of the huge circle that God, that God made, then hell has been enlarged, but it is still not the will of God for you to be lost. God does not want you to be lost. This may come as a revelation. God is not looking for a reason to judge you. If you live your life scared, always looking over your shoulder, worried that, that you're going to mess up and God is going to clobber you, well, he's not looking for a reason to do that. If, if God wanted to judge us right now, 
if that was his will, if that was in his heart, if God wanted to uh, find any fault in us, this place would be empty. None of us would be here. There wouldn't even be a church because I'm sure we've all given ample reason to be judged. So why are we still here? We're still here because God is not looking for a reason to judge us. God is looking for a reason to show mercy. That's what he's doing. God's, God's looking. He's watching. The Bible says that the eye of the Lord goes throughout the whole earth. God's always watching. Why is he watching? What's he looking for? He's just waiting for you to trip up so he can clobber you. No, he's not. He's waiting to hear, I'm sorry, Lord. That's all. He's just waiting to hear repentance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm sorry, Lord. So be speedy to repent. Don't be speedy to judge yourself. Don't give in to the enemy. Don't, don't throw in the towel and walk away. Don't give up because you think you've, you've messed up and God's going to get you. Be speedy to repent. If you mess up, if you trip up, if you, if you falter, say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, you know my heart. I want to I spend eternity with you. I want to be saved. I'm sorry, Lord. He says, okay. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for a little bit of repentance. I was looking for somebody to say, I'm sorry. I was, I was just looking for some indication that you were not stubbornly going your own way and that you had no regard for my feelings. So God drew a big circle. And you're in that circle that God drew unless you absolutely turn your back against God and you step outside of the circle that God has drawn. And of course, he is our example. He said, we should be holy as he is holy. Um, we, need to, we need to show mercy because he shows mercy. We love because he first loved us. And so one of the things that we do because he showed us the example is we, you and I should go through life drawing big circles. Some people draw small circles. They're, they may be, it may be selfish, self, the ego. They're egocentric. They're centered on self. And so they draw a small circle. Some people do it because they're not necessarily a selfish person, but they're, they're very inward. Um, they're afraid. Because when you draw big circles, you open yourself up to risk. Every additional person that you take into your circle is an additional risk. Because what happens if they don't, if they don't love me? What happens if they betray me? What happens if they hurt me? And, and if, if you're going to be motivated by fear of risk, then you won't draw big circles. And you're going to live a lonely life. Love has risk. Um, marriage has risk. Uh, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, there is risk. What if this doesn't work? What if it doesn't? Start over again. What if it does? 
You can't live your entire life saying, what if it doesn't work? Then you'll never do anything. You'll never have a good relationship. You're never going to have a close friend. You probably will never get married. You're, you're, you're never going to take the, the leap and, 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 and do whatever it is that's challenging you. And so you draw a little circle. Or maybe you take in one person or somebody who is, who is um, your best friend, but you... If you do that, you don't want that person to draw the circle bigger and let anybody else in because this is our circle. This belongs to us. Don't let anybody else in here. Well, I think, I think, you, can, I think you can make the connection and realize if we all act like that, the church will not grow and we will not be living the will of God, which is... If any man thirst, let him come, come unto me. So when we're in, in this circle that God has, that God has uh, enclosed, of course, salvation requires the new birth. God loves the whole world, and he died for the whole world. Atonement was for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Atonement was for everybody that has ever been born. And, and it is the will of God, not that they perish, but that they come to repentance. When they come to repentance and they complete the new birth through, through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, then they enter into salvation. It's, that is even beyond the love of God. God loves people who aren't saved. And it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So, as most of you know, I was born and raised in Bakersfield. I was, I was brought to this church. My mother was attending uh, this church when I was born. She backslid for uh, a few years, and when I was uh, about probably about five years old, so she she was gone for four or five years, and um, she wasn't happy because she knew she belonged here, and she happened to be at a um, some type of a, a swap meet or a flea market one day, and a couple of a couple of preachers from this church walked by and. She recognized them. They may have recognized her, and they stopped and talked to her and, and, and invited her back to church, and she came. She accepted. So somebody took the time for a little seemingly totally unimportant backslider girl who was not dressed right, probably had no outward indication that she wanted to live for God. And that conversation drew a circle to let her know she was still wanted, to let her know God still loved her and that people still accepted her. You know, there are a lot of people, whether they've ever been in the church or not, they, they may have never had a, an association with the church or maybe they have and they lost it. But they don't know unless you let them know 
that they're still wanted. They, they don't, because the devil has lied to them and told them not only you don't care, you don't want them, but that God doesn't love them. Somebody has got to counteract that. Someone needs to go through their life drawing big circles. And so mom came back to church, and, and so all, almost all of my memories are in the church. I remember very little of, of anything that happened before that. And, and so my memories are of this church and of the people of this church. And the fact that that God's mercy has been on me and, and in any way whatsoever that God has used me. And I, I recently retired after 43 years of pastoring uh, that beautiful group of people in Calgary, Canada. And I'm, I'm very, very happy. I was not, I was not burnt out. I wasn't um, uh, depressed. I was still loving the church and loving the people. I simply felt like it was time uh, for a change and a transition, and I've been extremely happy, uh, blessed, uh, joyful with with the leadership of of Brother Douglas Walker, and and we simply love his family, and we're are so happy that they're there, and I feel very very happy and blessed in the position that I'm in right now as a retired pastor. I'm I'm not retired from ministry, but the burden of pastoring, which you don't really understand unless you're in that position, has been lifted from my shoulders and placed on a younger man. And so I'm very happy about that. And I pray for Pastor Bradford. So, so I'm growing up here. And one of the reasons that I'm still here, I'm still living for God, after... Um, um, last year, last year marked 60 years that I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can remember it was uh, uh, third Sunday of September, and I drove by the old church yesterday and saw that they had torn down the fellowship hall that was in the back, and that's where during during. Uh, Children's Church, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost at the age of eight years old. So those first, those first years, my dad was an alcoholic. He didn't come to church unless he was drunk or had been drinking. And when he had been drinking, he wasn't the most pleasant man. He, he, he uh, would fight. And I remember one time him standing up and challenging Brother Terry and saying, you're trying to destroy my family and... So, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little, I, I was raised right here in this neighborhood. I lived, on, I lived on Jewett. We had at least three houses that I can remember that I lived on Jewett. We lived on um, uh, L Street. We lived on K Street. We lived on M Street. So, I mean, this, I own this place. This, <laughs> this where, where this church is right now, this was, you know, it was the mosquito abatement, but I dug bottles at the old dump that was right behind here. There used to be a dump, and you could find old glass bottles. And, and Hobo Jungle, this, this way, all the way down this direction was called Hobo Jungle, and, and I, I ran around here barefoot, and, and uh, I practically owned this place. So anyway, I was a nobody, the son of a, uh, of a drunkard. 
And um, and yet, this church drew a circle that took me in. And this morning, I want to commend this church. Um, Corporately and individually, there were people who had time for a boy and people who had time for a, a teenager. I wasn't a perfect teenager. In fact, I went through a, a, my own time of teenage insanity. Most teenagers do. They experience a, a period of temporary insanity. When I was 13, we were living over on L Street, 3725 L Street. And um, my dad had just gotten to the church and, and he, he, dad always cut our hair. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't a barber, but he, he cut our hair. And it never, it never mattered to me. But when I reached the age of 13, for some reason, it started mattering. And he gave me a haircut that I didn't like. And I got angry and decided I was going to run away from home. And so I, I headed for the bridge, and I crossed the, the bridge right here over the river into Oildale and went all the way through to the end of Oildale and was out there in the foothills on the other side of town and um, on the road and, a, and here comes an 18-wheeler down the road and I stuck my thumb out and I prayed, Lord, if it's your will for me to run away, <laughs> let this truck stop and pick me up. Now, is that dumb or what? <laughs> Talk about insane. And when that truck, thank God, where in the world would I be today if that truck had stopped? God only knows. But when that truck passed me by, I put my hand down, and I ran all the way back through Oildale and across the bridge and all the way home. Thank God. So, but I, you know, so, I mean, I, it wasn't that I was a, uh, the brightest bulb in the, in the lights, you know. I, I, was, um, I was just a, a teenager. But then Dad got in the church, and he began to form friendships, and his friends became my friends. In fact, his friends and those in this church that were older than me and, and were, were, at that time, they were young married couples. They became closer to me than my own age group. Most of my own age group in the church backslid. Most of them walked away from the church through time and through one circumstance or another, and, and they didn't make it. And they were not the ones who strengthened me. My strength did not come from my own age group. My strength in this church did not come from the youth group. My strength came from the next generation. It came from, from people like uh, Daryl and Sue Smith and, and Danny and Phyllis McAllister and Alvin and Laverne and L.D. and Barbara and, and Vernon and Rogene um, it came from people who, like, like Clarence and Janelle Kaufman and, and uh, the Underwoods, they were, they were the next generation. They weren't, my, they weren't my peers, but they loved me. 
They made me feel at home. They drew a circle that took me in. And anywhere that I was with them, whether it was at Peppermint Creek or hiking over Cursarge Pass or playing volleyball on the church parking lot or baseball at, at Sam Lynn, everywhere I was with them, they were Christians. I couldn't say that about my own peer group. I couldn't say that about, about all of the young people that were in the church at the time because everywhere they were, they were not always Christians. But these people who were the next generation, they took me in. They were Christians everywhere we went, everywhere I saw them. They didn't tell dirty jokes. They didn't listen to ungodly music. They weren't talking bad about the pastor. They were living the life. They showed me how to be a Christian. And my own parents demonstrated to me how to be a Christian. And, and they demonstrated to me faithfulness. My dad, once he came into the church, and, and that's, that, that's a story also that demonstrates somebody drawing a big circle because he came in 1965 in November during the revival of Verbal Bean, and uh, he was drunk. He'd been drinking. He had, he had his, his, favorite, his favorite spots. Uh, at this time, it was the cool spot. But he, always, he, he also frequented uh, Trout's uh, on the other side of the river and Redwood Cafe and U, uh, Beulah's Club and um, the sports club down here on Chester and the Blackboard. In fact, my mom and dad met at the Blackboard. And, and so dad had a, probably had a tab run up at all those places. And he had just come from probably, probably the cool spot, and he was sitting um, just this side of, of the center aisle, maybe, maybe four or five seats back. Brother Bean preached and made the altar call, and I'd been sitting on the front row with uh, uh, probably... Jess and Joe Parker and Bruce Venable. And, and uh, so I got up and a couple of my friends, we went back and started uh, trying to talk my dad to come to the altar. None of the men would at that time. They kind of shied away from him because he was drunk and he was Leroy King. And, you know, they didn't want to fight. Finally, Dean Wright, God bless his heart, uh, mustered up enough courage to go back and draw a circle around Leroy King. And then Brother Bean went back, and, and they talked him to the altar. And so Dad came to the altar, and he didn't get the Holy Ghost that night, but he repented, and he stayed at the altar long enough to sober up. And then it wasn't but a few days later that, that God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And he was, he was always a Christian. From that moment on, he was, my dad was a Christian. He never talked bad about the pastor, not even when the pastor disfellowshipped me for not paying tithes. I never heard a peep. My mom and dad did not, if they, I'm sure they sympathized with me, but they didn't tell me that. And I thank God they didn't because it might have just all, it might have just taken a little bit of sympathy from mom and dad saying, we know he shouldn't have done that to you. He was a little bit hard on you. Well, that might have made me start feeling sorry for myself and, and, and justifying my actions and turning against my pastor. 
you better back up your preacher. I doubt, I doubt very seriously. I doubt very seriously if your kid's going to ever get disfellowship for not paying their tithes. But whatever your pastor has to do for your children or your young people, your best course of action always is to back up the preacher. Stand behind that man. If you want your children and your grandchildren to be saved, you stand behind the preacher. He's the one that's responsible for their souls. He might, he might see a relationship developing that doesn't, doesn't bode well. You better stand behind the man of God. He's, he's seen some things that maybe you don't see. That's his job. He's a seer. He's a watchman. He's a, the, Bible, the, the New Testament term is overseer, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. A watchman. Trust. You've got a trustworthy pastor. Thank God for Pastor Bradford. You have a trustworthy pastor. This church is in good hands. Your children are in good hands. Your grandchildren are in good hands. You back up the preacher. But I'm, I'm thanking God. I thank God constantly. And I'm still in touch with, with uh, Brother Dean Wright. He, he calls me every now and then or I call him. And I'm, I constantly thank God for him going back and drawing that circle around my dad. And then this whole church drew a circle around him. And he was, he was accepted. He was loved. And, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for loving me and accepting me. So on a personal level, as individuals, you can choose to do what these people did for me. You can choose to draw big circles. You can choose to say, I, I know, maybe they're not our peers, maybe it's not our generation, but hey, why don't we invite them over too? Uh, maybe they're just new in the church and, and they haven't formed friendships yet, but we need to include them. If you will draw big circles, if you will include people, if you will just open up a little bit and let somebody else in that they may not yet fit the bill, but you never know how God might use them. Probably nobody ever thought that, that uh, Johnny King would amount to much. You, you didn't open up to me. You didn't accept me. You didn't invite me. And, and allow me to come because you had great hopes in me. You just did it because you loved. You loved. And yet, if you hadn't of, I wonder, I wonder where the church in Calgary would be today. There are, there are a whole lot of people that have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost as a result of, of what you did. I believe as a result of what you did and how you, how you helped me to be strong, and you helped me to be saved. And so you never know when, when there's some young person sitting on the bench or some kid coming to Sunday school, you don't know what in the world God's going to use them for. And, and you could play a part in that like you played a part in my life. You did that on an individual basis. On a collective basis, this church... Of course, as Brother Bradford mentioned, this church had a tremendous part to play in, in the church in Calgary. There's a great church in Calgary. 
And, and it's, it's only going to get better with the, under the leadership of Pastor Douglas Walker. But you played a part in that. You did. You, 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 most of you have never been to Calgary, and you don't know those people, and, and, and they're just you know, names or, or faces or numbers to you, and you have no concept of, of this one that was on the street and how God changed their life, and, and this one that was on drugs and how God changed their life, and, and this marriage that was on the rocks and God put it back together. and All those things that have happened over the past 45 years, you had a part in that because you had a part in me. Because you drew a circle that took me. You didn't shut me out because I was just the son of an alcoholic. You didn't shut me out just because I was an insane teenager. You didn't shut me out just because I had nothing to offer you. You loved me. And I'm eternally grateful. I am eternally grateful. And collectively, this church had a tremendous part to play in the Ivory Coast. When you helped support Brother Eddie Allard there and you built a Bible school there, I'm happy to tell you that the work in the Ivory Coast is flourishing. It is, it is self-sufficient. It is self-supporting. It is self-propagating. They are multiplying. They're reaching out and they're saving Trinitarians and converting Trinitarian preachers. What would have happened Without your help, we don't know. And, and that's, that's been long ago, and most of you have probably forgotten it. But this church is invested, heavily invested in the Ivory Coast. And then under Bishop Frost, you invested heavily in Ethiopia. You've got churches in Ethiopia. And, and the work of God is going forward there, and it's spreading, and it's multiplying. And Brother Bradford among other things, has invested heavily in energy and time and finances in the Philippines. And he personally directed Hope Corps Intensive Training Weeks for several years in the Philippines. This church is invested. What are, what are you doing? You're drawing big circles. And now I'm as pleased as can be that your pastor is on the Global Missions Council. Well, what's that going to mean? It's going to mean you're drawing bigger circles. It means that the, the influence of this church and the prayers of this church and, and, and if we go all the way back, the prayers of Sister Terry. It means prayers that were prayed by, by our parents and grandparents are still being answered and this church is still making ripples and the concentric circles are, are growing bigger and bigger and spreading outward and spreading outward. And so I want to thank you and I want to encourage you. Whatever life throws your way, whatever you get discouraged, whenever you start feeling like you're not making a difference and you get frustrated and you're, you're tempted to be bored and you're thinking, well, I, don't, I just might as well give up. I, 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 just, I don't know what difference I'm making you're not wasting your time. Just keep drawing circles. Just a, a, a word to those who might, who might be dating or engaged or newly married. Don't 
shrink your circle. The temptation is when somebody gets dating, everybody fades out except one person, and your circle shrinks. When that happens, if, if you cease your fellowship with other people, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a, like in a time warp. You're freezing your relationships with others because you're totally and absolutely focused on one relationship only. That's not good. That is not good because, because you're, 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 you're freezing your other relationships. And later on, after you're married and you need to develop these relationships again for you to be a strong and balanced couple, it's going to be difficult because you, you shut people out. You didn't want to share. You wanted total control. And, and a happy marriage is not built on total control. It's not built on a small circle. A happy and strong marriage is built on having friends and fellowship, and you're not shutting anybody else out. If you have to shut somebody else out to protect your own little dating game, then I think you're not in the will of God. If you're in the will of God with who you're dating or who you want to date, then you can continue to have relationship with your people in the church. You don't need to shut anybody else out. Draw big circles. Keep drawing big circles. God is the one who has drawn a circle to bring us in. God's circle is not based on race. It is not based on social status. God's circle does not shut people out because of where they live or the color of their skin or what their mother tongue might be or if they have an accent or not or how much money they make or if they're a successful businessman or if they're a laborer. God's circle pays no attention to that. God is no respecter of persons. He drew a big circle to take us in, to take you in. So whoever you are and wherever you're from, I'm telling you, you belong in this church. You belong here. You belong here. And so what's the proper response to this message? First, you acknowledge that God loves you and you, he wants you in his circle. What do I need to do to be in his circle? He already loves you. You're in the love circle. To be in the house, to be in the family, you need to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. You need to repent of your sins and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues. That puts you in the family. You're in the circle, the family circle. And then... Understand that God loves you and he's not willing for you to be lost. No matter when temptations come or battles or struggles or fights, don't walk away. Don't throw in the towel. Hang tight. God loves you. You are in the circle. What's next? Well, be like God. Draw big circles. But I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. You might. He got hurt. In fact, he got killed. You might get hurt, but the alternative is, the alternative is you, you live in a small circle. I just, 
You, you draw big circles and understand, yes, there will be hurt. There will be misunderstanding. But the, it's like marriage. In, in marriage, there will be disagreements. There's going to be times when there's misunderstanding. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'll, I'll, take the, I'll, take the, I'll take the little bit of pain that comes. I'll take the little bit of misunderstanding that comes. I'll, I'll take the, the few times when there's disagreement rather than never experience life with Judy? Are you kidding me? No, it's, it's, uh, there's a saying in Italian that uh, I think it's Valle de Pena. It, it means it's worth the pain. It's worth the pain. When you draw big circles, you're going to get hurt, but it's worth the pain. You're taking a risk, but it's worth the risk. If someone else has, has drawn you out of their circle, shall we stand? I'd like to challenge you today to, to not retaliate by drawing them out of your circle, but I'd like to challenge you to make your circle bigger. Draw your circle around them. They may not understand. They may not even respond the way that they should respond. But God will bless you and God will bless your relationships if you will draw a big circle. Take them in. Take them in. I was watching uh, a couple of situations in our church just a couple of weeks ago. And, and one involved girls and one involved guys. It was, it was like these young men were, were together almost like a huddle. Literally, they were, they were in a circle, and there was a young man that was out of the circle. He was a little bit awkward, maybe, maybe like a teenage Johnny King, you know, maybe like somebody with an alcoholic father. And my heart hurt for him, and my heart hurt for them because I realized they didn't know, they didn't know what, what they were doing. They didn't understand what it looked like, and... And because they were on the inside, they probably never understood what it felt like to be on the outside of a circle. I'd like to challenge you to draw big circles. I don't know how you want to respond, if you want to come to the front or if you want to just stay where you're at. Um, but, but I would like, I, I think you need to put something concrete in your response. I think you need to make a commitment to God, whether it's in the pew or at the front. I think you need to commit to God, Lord. I heard your voice. I hear. I hear you. And God, I want you to help me draw big circles. If you have not yet been born again, join us at the front. We want you to be part of this family. And everybody else in here, make a commitment to God that you're going to enlarge your circle. In fact, if God brings somebody to your mind, give them a call. Go out of your way to shake their hand. Go out of their way to say, hey, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here. You're important to me. Let's draw big circles. Let's not live a life that is selfish, small. I believe I'm here today because people in this church drew a big circle 
and let me in. Let's give ourselves for the rest of our life to draw in big circles.